RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into another edition of the MA Report Podcast. It is May the 4th, 2022, and we are sponsored by Freeze Pipe. We'll talk, tell you about the special offer that the Freeze Pipe has for the MA Report Podcast listener later on in the show. Of course, we've got a ton of things to discuss here. Talk about what happened last weekend, UFC Vegas 53. Also, week two of the 2022 PFL season, plus get you ready for Friday's uh, double action that we have. We got, of course, uh, Bellator in the afternoon, PFL at night. And then, of course, on Saturday night, we got the UFC pay per view, UFC 274. Plus, you're going to hear the conversation that I have with Frank Camacho who returns to the UFC Octagon next week for the first time in nearly two years. All that. Plus, so we got a our WTF moment of the week. That involves a tomato. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But, you know, Daniel, really, I guess, uh, as we do this show here on a Wednesday morning, the, the hot topic in MMA has to do with the podcast that I love to listen to every time they post an episode. That's the pivot. They had Dana White on there. So here is my kind of my, my general takeaway from this one, Daniel, is why are people surprised it came off as a PR interview for the UFC and Dana White? I, I don't know. I mean, I think we know that this is the landscape of 2022 media in that people who are power players in sports or really in any type of, you know, entertainment, et cetera, are not going to put themselves in a situation where they have to answer tough questions, right? Like the only place you'll find that nowadays will be, I don't know, the United States Congress when you're testifying or a courtroom when you're Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. But because there are so many avenues where someone can easily communicate what they want to say, people are not going to choose tough places to go, right? Like you can go to a place like the MMA Hour and Ariel will usually ask you a difficult question or two. But there aren't a lot of places where those people who are going to hold your feet to the fire again and again and ask you difficult questions, they're not going to get that opportunity, bro. I mean, it's as simple as that. When you're talking about a podcast, it's basically produced by, you know, you got ESPN personalities on there, former athletes who aren't journalists, et cetera, per se. You know, they're former athletes who are, you know, Ryan Clark, football analyst for ESPN, really. Yeah, it, it's not a shocker. We will probably never see Dana White give another hard interview again. Now, look, look, if you told me Dana White was going to do an interview with, say, John Nash, I would literally pay to watch the interview that interview is never going to happen so it, it's one of those things of you know i mean the, obviously the the big part of the conversation that everyone's really talking about is about i would say about three quarters into the conversation where basically dana white said it, it, paraphrasing what he's saying real talk here hey we're trying to make more money in the fighters i mean that, that's about the best way i can put it like if you're a ufc fighter i think that should be your takeaway from is like look at the end of the day dana white's not worried about the amount of money he's putting in your paycheck he's he's making sure that he's making the owners of, of the ufc happy um you know th there was a jake paul thing and you know and i mean look i i whether you love or hate Jake Paul, the one thing that when I hear Dana talking about Jake Paul, the first thing that came to my mind, look at what Jake Paul has done for women's boxing in the last year, as opposed to other people who have pretty much done nothing for women's boxing over the course of 20 years. Yeah, I mean, that Katie Taylor fight with Serrano was one of the big talking points of 
this past sports weekend. It was a phenomenal fight. It was at a great venue. It had a lot of media personalities there, and just a lot more people are aware of who Amanda Serrano is after Jake Paul than beforehand. I mean, you even have Holly Holm talking about how there's a little bit of, you know, like grass is greener on the other side when she sees all the popularity that that fight gets. So the one thing Jake Paul has done exceptionally well is be a promoter, right? Like mm-hmm. you can make a case in combat sports. He has been one of the top promoters over the past year and a half. I mean, so many of the major combat sports events that we have seen as a culture have involved Jake Paul or have had his fingerprints on it. You know, you watch a Tyson Fury fight. Well, you're excited about watching his brother Tommy Fury fight because of, you know, Tommy's parlance or Tommy's walk in in the world of Jake Paul. So that was interesting. Look, I mean, Dana talking about boxers being overpaid is just there's no one that is going to have their opinion changed based on that soundbite. You see, they're going to reinforce what you think. And it's as simple as that, right? It's, it's wild for him to kind of go out there and be upfront about it, but it's simple, right? Like Dana is not someone who is on the MMA fighter side. He works with mixed martial arts fighters. He provides a place where mixed martial arts fighters can make a living, but he's not going to bend over backwards and give a quote-unquote fair share of income to the fighters that the UFC produces based on their television deal. The only way that is going to happen is if the fighters generate some type of leverage to force Dana's hand. But it does seem like in 2022, the way Dana talks about things like fighter pay, I mean, he's gone full Dana with the way he talks about these things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look look at Kamaru Usman arguably the best pound for pound fire in the world. He's chasing that boxing money. I mean, at the end of the day, why is a guy like Kamar Usman winning the fight Canelo Alvarez? You know, it, it is primarily because he looks at that payday. He looks at what all these boxers are, are making. And, you know, it makes me think of, I, I was watching the, the Andre Feely um, pre-fight scrum last week. And, you know, he was kind of, and he was talking about, you know, how, how, he's changed over the years, especially with his spending habits. And he talks about, he's like, yeah, the first year in the UFC, I made $30,000. Take that one in. Now, look, he's been in the UFC for eight years, but still he only made $30,000. I mean, it, and so it's like, it, it's one of these things of like, I, I understand why the reaction from the MMA community was what it was. But I think ultimately you have to understand is Dana White, when you, no matter whether he's going on the Pivot podcast or he's going on Pat McAfee show or whoever he's going on, you know, the UFC believes that is just going to be an extension of the PR department. Let's just be honest about it. So we shouldn't be surprised the interview was what it was. But, but I'll tell you, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. The Pivot is one of my go-to. As I, I finished listening to the Shack episode a couple of days ago, it's 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 a phenomenal show. It is, and I'll say this: I mean, and when I listened to the whole Dana White episode, it was very clear to me. Fred Taylor was prepared because he was bringing up some things that I don't think um, um would come up in a normal interview. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was it was well done if that's what you're looking for. And I think I really like the whole production of it and. It was a good conversation. It's kind of similar to what you get out of those Pat McAfee interviews with WWE guys, where, again, he's not going to ask difficult questions. But because of the detail and the attention, you are going to get some interesting answers about topics that Dana's willing to talk about. I mean, for me, the big takeaway had to have been the opening minute of the episode when they walk into the uh, 
room where they interviewed Dana White, and on the back wall is all the proposed fights. Yeah. You know, and if you haven't seen it, I would suggest seeing it because it is interesting, Jason, right? You see, like, Stipe and Jones, Diaz and Chimaev, uh, Usman and – oh, not Usman. Adesanya and Kananir. Uh, I know Mali fight is up there. And I just find it interesting that Dana White has this room with all these, like, I don't know if they're magnetic or whatever, but I just wonder, like, whose job is it to pick these names of fighters and put them there? Like, that is a very interesting thing, and it's kind of surprising to me that the UFC kind of let that leak. But maybe that was intentional because, you know, everything we saw in that video certainly was. I think it was very intentional what they're doing, and particularly the fact of seeing that they want to have Nate Diaz versus Hamza Chimaev, which they know Nate has turned down that fight because Nate understands what that fight is. The people around Nate Diaz understand what that fight is. And, of course, every time he turns down that fight – magically extends his contract six months, you know? And and so it's just, I I think that, look, everything the UFC does, I think is done on purpose. And look, the UFC is known for an organization that will leak fights out there in a way to basically in a public form, push you into taking that fight. It's happened all the times. I I will tell you, I've had conversations over the years where a fight will get leaked out to the media and one of the fires will go or the manager will go, they haven't even called me about it. You know, and there, there's just, it, it happens in this industry. Uh, other thing this week, the ultimate fighter debuted on Tuesday and, uh, I watched episode one, which I typically always watch episode one. I may not always make it episode two. Um, and I think probably for me, one of the reasons I do watch it is, is I do know one of the fires that is on the season Chandler Cole. And, uh, you know, my big takeaway from watching episode one, it really feels like the UFC is trying to do what they can to elevate Juliana Pena to get her to, kind of, you know, to, to be a star. And obviously, you know, coming off that win there, um, you know, I will tell you watching the first fight. I just I felt like I was watching regional MMA. Yeah, well, just think about how talent has been spread so thin when you have so many UFC events basically one a week the contender series bellator pfl one fc it's the talent is spread incredibly thin and the options to be on the ultimate fighter is incredibly limited and that's just what you're going to get uh will i watch this season of the ultimate fighter i'll give it a good college effort last year i thought i was going to watch every episode and i probably stopped after episode four but I, I, I'll give it a watch, episode one, and we'll see. I mean, it feels like the only time people will be thinking about the Ultimate Fighter is when they have ESPN on and they're advertising it on the bottom line. I mean, that may be the only time. I mean, the best platform for the Ultimate Fighter to make Juliana Pena a star, make one of these fighters a star as well, probably to be on linear television. You know, if the Ultimate Fighter was on ESPN, or ESPN too, but really ESPN, which is not going to happen because there's just too much content that the UFC would rather have on those airwaves than the Ultimate Fighter. That would be the one avenue where the Ultimate Fighter could get some kind of momentum. But you know, the Ultimate Fighter is just—it's—it's—I it, it's, it's, mean, it's about as relevant as you know, Zubaz pants or Healy's tennis shoes, right? Like it, it peaked in 2005, but. Yeah, I mean, I heard what you told me. Forrest Griffin is now in the Dana White role. Pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty much. He, he's kind of taken over that role. And uh, Dana's still a part of the show, but clearly, uh, you know, Forrest is the, the guy on the scene day in, day out, dealing with the fighters there. And, uh, you know, look, we'll, you know, 
we'll see how the season goes. We'll see if I make it episode four. I'm guessing the answer is probably no on that equation. Just it, it's just a show that for me just just hasn't gauged my interest in, in multiple years. And you know, of course, what we will see uh, Nunez and, and Payne later on this year. I don't know if you saw Kayla Harrison basically uh, saying. Uh, with uh, what things Juliana Payne has said about her is that uh, the media will be to blame if they ever fight and Kayla Harrison destroys her, which I'm like, how is it the media's fault? We're not the <laughs> ones telling Juliana Payne to say this stuff. Yes, it is Juliana Pena's fault, 100%. But it's like Juliana Pena isn't in any more danger than every single person Kayla Harrison has fought in her career. Like, the gap in talent between the opponents Kayla has fought to Juliana Pena is about bigger than the uh, Pacific Ocean. I mean, Juliana Pena, would she lose against Kayla Harrison? Honestly, I think probably. I mean, I, I really do think Ju- Kayla would be able to bring her down and control her there. But Pena, I think, would be able to defend herself quite well. But yes, it is it is Pena's fault. But yes, uh, Juliana, Kayla... You know, two names that always seem to find themselves in the news every single week. And obviously, Kayla's in the news. We'll be talking about her fight later. You know, the, the one of the biggest uh, PFL events to start off before we head to the, the postseason of, of the PFL. <laughs> 35 to 1 betting favorite Kayla Harrison is on Friday. It should be illegal. It should be illegal. You should not be able to put on a mixed martial arts fight no, where no, you are 35 to 1 favorite. No, 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 no. The, the bigger question is if. I walked into any sports book in America and you went up to the head of that sports book and you, would you go, have you taken any money against Kayla Harrison on Friday? If they have, then you got to have questions. If that event was taped, I, I, I feel like it's a situation where the sports books are putting that number so high, just in attempt to get money on the other side. So would Kayla Harrison be, yeah, I know that'd be like free money for the. For, but things happen to make smart shorts. But you know, Kayla Harrison losing at PFL three, would that be the biggest upset in MMA history? I, I don't think I'd go there because I feel like you, you kind of you still kind of look at paying his win over Nunez, uh, Matt Sarah's win over GSP because I think because because of those fights being title fights and the meaning they have, I think I, I wouldn't put it there. But I mean, statistically speaking, yeah, it'd be probably the yeah. biggest upset in MMA yeah. history. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a fight with those odds. I mean, I'd be like if James Tony had uh, beaten Randy Couture. I mean, James Tony's odds, I think, were probably not as wide well, actually. Well, you remember last year or year and a half ago, Shane Dobson beat uh, Agapova, and she was like. I don't know. Yeah, it was it was some crazy number. Um, there was a I want to say uh, there was a Bubba Jenkins fight in Bellator where he was just a massive betting favorite. Dude, and he what do won- you what do you think uh, Randy Couture's odds were against James Tony? Twenty to one. Dude, uh, it opened at minus four ninety and it closed at minus six hundred. Wow, that's <laughs> it. Wow, that, <laughs> that feels like that was just like free money. <laughs> yeah, dude, dude. Randy was barely Randy was a minus four ninety to start against James Tony. And look at this disrespect. Minus four hundred against Mark Coleman. 
Yeah, bro, if that fight happens today, that number is just absolutely gigantic. I mean, that number would be absolutely crazy. Uh, before we get into everything that happened last week, and of course this weekend's MMA, I wanted to get into the interview here on this week's edition of the podcast. You're going to hear from Frank Camacho. He fights next week, UFC Vegas 53. It'll be his first fight in nearly two years. Spoke to him about the layoff, what has been going on with him, finishing up his camp at Team Oyama there in California, and uh, his matchup next Saturday at UFC Vegas 53. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who's going to step inside the UFC octagon for the first time in nearly two years, Frank Camacho. Frank, man, as always, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, you know, there's uh, obviously it's been a, a lengthy layoff for you. You've had some fights that ultimately uh, just did not come together. And it kind of made me think of this Instagram post you had recently where you said, been in the game for a minute and still loving every second of it. Truly blessed and grateful to continue to work on what I love and you should too. And, and it, knowing with the layoff you had and IG posts, and, and I was thinking about, I was listening to Andre Feely's uh, chat with the media the other day, and he kind of talked about like this, you know, the mental side of this game. And it kind of made me think about for you, like with these two years, like how, how do you kind of keep that positive mindset? Yeah, you know, uh, honestly, I think, First and foremost, it's it really started. It really starts with my support system, you know, um, the the person that I'm with all the time, my wife. Yo, like, uh, yo, it's been a heavy two years, you know. I, 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 you know, I wake up every day and I, I was still able. To, I'm still able to do everything that I love, and, but, I truly, you know, everyone knows I truly love getting in there and I love fighting in front of fans, right? Like, uh, it's my thing, man, and, and and I still wake up every day wanting to do it. And I just had those two years, not really taken away from me, but I just never had, uh, uh, I was, I missed the opportunities, you know, to, 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 to fight and to, to really showcase what I've been working on, you know? So yeah, my, I guess my approach is really just control really what I can control and just really be grateful now for the opportunity to get back in there, you know, like, you know, it's, 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 a it's so fragile, you know, people don't realize that like, like a lot of these fighters that are coming in and they're fighting four times, five times a year. Like, man, what, what, that, what a privilege that could be because that could easily be taken away with things that you can't control, you know, COVID uh, for me at the first time. And then um, the car accident, you know, the car wreck. And then I was out for the whole year. So just really grateful, man. I was just really grateful that I do have a date <laughs> on May, you know, in, in May. And Oh, I get to do it again, Jason, you know? Something you said there, it's about fighting in front of fans. And obviously, the last time we saw you, you weren't in front of fans there at the Apex. And yeah. and now, I mean, there, there's a, a very small amount of fans. Like, is is that a weird environment for you? I will admit, when I fought Justin James, uh, especially coming out to the States uh, during that time in June of 2020, you know, everything was still closed down. You know, we still didn't know what was going on. You're walking out to the apex and you can hear a pin drop. It's like, <laughs> ugh. yeah, you know, where's, you know, like, uh, I guess maybe, you know, I, I, I never mentally prepped myself for a fight like that, you know, like, like for years, I've always just mentally drilled and mentally, uh, put in reps in my mind of like walking out to a crazy crowd to my music, to the lights. And, and, uh, it, let's just say it was very different, you know? Um, at least I know sort of what to expect, you know, like fighting the apex here, May 14th. And 
I, I'm just, I'm just, honestly, like these past two years, uh, one word, just gratitude. You know, I'm just so grateful to literally fight another day and so grateful just for like another opportunity, you know? I get to do it again, man. You mentioned about the, the car accident you had, and, and obviously uh, you've been able to come back from that. Was, was that maybe one of the, the hardest things for you to come back from? You Because, know, like, you, you talk about athletes, and, you know, they have some type of injury, and, you know, maybe it's it's like a mental thing of, you know, let's, let's just say, like, they, t- they tear their ACL. And then it's like if they're an MMA fighter, it's like, okay, when do I start feeling confident with throwing a leg kick or, or checking a leg kick? What Did you have to get past any mental block in terms of getting back in there? Um. No, I guess the, the 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 car accident it was so bad, but the with the injuries that I walked away with were so minor compared to what had happened. You know, cars flipping and everything, and I I just got a couple herniated discs and I separated my shoulder. You know, so I was just more so just grateful just to kind of like see the family and everything. And then the career kind of came in on the second on the second thought. You know. Um, no, I, I I think if if there's one thing that martial arts has taught me, it's uh, trusting the process, you know. And I just got just got checked up with the doctors, you know, positive mindset, smiles, chakras all around, and they just told me, yeah, it's gonna take X amount of months to get you back on on the feet, depending on how much you wanna how much you wanna put in. I'm like, okay, and if there's one thing that I can do is, or it's one thing that I'm not scared of, is just putting in work. So. At least I kind of had that in my mind to uh, chop, chop at it, chop at it, and come back stronger. If anything, PT, like physical therapy, really showed how much like deficiencies I had within my body outside of just the car accident. You know, like I'd just be trying to press something with my left hand. I'd be like, oh, what the heck? I can't even do this with a bad. You know, it's like all these little deficiencies that I've been, uh, I've been um, having to compensate with my body you know so it was it was a truly it was a blessing in disguise i got to learn a little bit more about my body obviously in the past we've talked about how you you structure your camp you know where you know, obviously you're starting back at home in guam and, and of course for this one you finish up at team oyama did, did you kind of change that structure at all in terms of, of when you decided to come to the united states uh no not so much if anything what changed for this fight was knowing in advance, like months in advance, you know? So, uh, we were able to, I was able to just communicate with a coach and Alex and, you know, just give me homework. What do I need to do? You know? And then we just basically plugged and played back on Guam, you know, with the boys at spike 22 at purebred jiu-jitsu trench tech. And, um, guys just got straight to work. We, we, we cleaned up the gym a little bit, fixed it up and, Island training, <laughs> got some really good training partners, you know, shout out to all, all the guys back home. And, uh, just, I like to say when I'm back home on Guam, I'm forging the metal, forging the sword. And then when I come out, just sharpen the blade and that's what we're doing right now. And of course, uh, of course, training their team. I also saw you with, with Giga, the arm collector doing a little jujitsu work. Uh, what's it like in terms of, I think, I think long-term long time MMA fans, they, they know about the arm collector in terms of his jujitsu is the way he coached any different than other jujitsu instructors you've been around. Yes. He's, uh, well, first off he's fought multiple times Yeah, and, uh, first off he's like an OG, you know? So like, 
his, if anything, his basics and his principles, but the application of his basics and his principles for jujitsu, but it's like for fight for jujitsu, fight jujitsu, you know, like man, like hunting, you know, like his, his approach, his approach to training and his mindset approach to training, but with, with, uh, with the jujitsu background, it's just so fascinating. And bro, the guy's like, I don't know, man, coach, I don't know how old you are. You're probably like in your fifties. Still smashing everyone, dude. <laughs> crazy, crazy madman. Shout out to Jiva. Now, now you're making me feel, there's no way he's, he's not in his fifties already. There's no, he's gotta be his forties. No, I think, I think so. But I don't know if the guys are just making fun of him or whatever, but yo, he's like, just yeah, go check it out. Because I, I, I'm, I'm literally looking it up. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, man, I'm about to feel really old. Jiva Santana. Yeah, if he's yeah, um, uh, that's gonna he is. Huh, he, he turned fifty last year. Yeah, see. Wow. I did not. Madman. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've I've talked to many fighters in that California scene that have been with him and, and just talked about kind of how they elevate his game. And of course, uh, Coach Ayama. You know, one of the things I've always told about has been said to me about about Coach Colin is uh, uh, he don't hold back. No, no, he don't hold back. <laughs> Yeah, which is good, you know. So like, yeah, and and uh, and uh, he he he, I guess I guess in anything, right? In any profession, uh, man, if you're willing to put in the work, you know, um, it's a, it's like a, it's like a currency, you know. If you're putting in the work, man, you're gonna get you're gonna you're gonna be getting you're just putting money in the bank, money in the bank, and and, and someone like Coach Yama could, uh, I'm sure, could appreciate that. Of course, you got this fight here on May the 14th, uh, UFC Fight Night, uh, Vegas 54 against Manuel Torres, 10-2 in his career. Um, as you uh, evaluate him as an opponent, like, it, it, when you first put in the tape and you start kind of looking at him, is, is there something that even sticks to your mind, like uh, uh, what you think about his fighting abilities? Man, hungry, you know, hungry, young and hungry. Like, uh, like I, I remember... I remember how when I first made my debut against the Leech, you know, even though it was only on ten days' notice, but I just the excitement, the the drive, the I'm gonna leave it all on the line, you know, like I need to make a statement, ooh, against a against a veteran, like thank him, you know, like that's that was the first thing that I thought of, you know, like uh, uh, is young, hungry, and strong, you know, but I mean. Everyone in the USC is like that, you know. So it's it's like for for and I, I guess I don't I'm not saying it like I being ignorant. I'm just kind of saying it like just through experience, right? Like man, you know, like everyone, everyone in in this league is has all those attributes, you know. So I guess it's really gonna see uh, you know what was gonna be really made of. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was listening to our fighter today, and he, and he was talking about uh, you know being a veteran in the UFC, and he says you he goes it doesn't matter who you're stepping in there against. I mean, we're talking about the elite of elite. He's like, you may not yeah. know this person's name, but you know they've been grinding in the gym for for years and years. Um, like as you look at why you know what you believe your key to victory is in this. Obviously, I know you're not giving away your game plan. I'm not. I'm not I understand yeah. that, but like as you think about what you have to do to get the wins, or something that sticks out to you immediately? Um, I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I got, you know, got the game plan. I, you know, I, I'm, I, I think, I think the key, the key thing here is that 
the, the best Franco Monster is going to show up, you know, like, again, very cliche, right? But man, for the past, I, I've had a two, two year layoff, but three or four fight camps. So there's so much development in that time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm just, I'm like, I'm like a bull right in, in the cage, ready to go. Like, come on, man. Like, come on, coach, let me in. Let me in, coach, let me in. Come on, put me in, coach. You know, so, like, I have a lot of things that I've been working on, I've been sharpening on, and and picking up a whole lot of different aspects of, like, uh, you know, working with a strength conditioning coach. Uh, man, I've been picking up endurance running and cycling and enjoying it and enjoying life and just enjoying the process, you know, and, and really enjoying the parts of training or the parts of MMA that I can't control, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, with all of that being said, with experience on top, I'm, I'm uh, I think that's, that's really going to separate me, you know? It, it made me think of what you just said there. Talk about, you know, you know, letting the bull unleash, maybe kind of think about where does kind of patience come into in terms of that key to victory? Yeah, I think, I think it's going to have to be, uh, a balance of everything and quick decision making. You know, if anything, that's what I've been working on. You know, because I'm, I'm not going to get any faster. Yeah, I can get stronger, but it's like, how do I know when to make these quick decision changes? You know what I mean? And what do I do? Do I, you know? So like, uh, like I don't, you know, I don't want to get too on the technical side of it, but yeah, it's it's like a faster decision making. It, it makes me think of, yeah, I know what you're because I think what I relate it to is, you know, you, I don't think it matters what sport we're talking about. They like talk about the, the yeah. risk versus reward, you know, uh, yeah. of deciding, like, like if we're talking about the fight game, okay, of deciding, okay, I'm going to take this chance, you know, maybe, a you know, you're going to throw a spinning kick or something, that, but you understand back your head, yeah. okay, here's the risk of that. But also if you land it, it could be in the fight. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so we've been doing, we've been working a lot of different things, a lot of different scenarios, uh, during these past two years. So I'm just excited to just like, I, I, of course, right. Obviously I want to win and I'm going to get the win, but I just really want to showcase. Yeah. To the world, to the, to my coaches, but man, also to myself, I want to showcase to myself like, yo man, like I, I have been putting work, and I want to showcase that, prove it to myself that I, that, that I still got it in me because I still do. You know, I, I mean, I've been fighting for so long, but I'm, you know, I'm still 32 years old. I still, I still wake up in the morning, you know, like that Instagram post, you know, I still love it, man. You know, like I can't, I, I guess there's going to be a day where I wake up. I'm going to be like, you know what? I don't feel like going to the gym right now. Cause I don't know, but I'm, I'm just so, I'm still in it. I'm still in it. You know? And, and I, and I tell my wife all the time. Like, yo, love, I, I, I still wake up in the morning and I still want to go and I want to learn and I want to bang and I want to do all these things. But going off tangent, I know, but uh, I just can't wait to uh, prove to myself, man, that, that I uh, and showcase myself my own piece of art that I've been working on the past two years. It will end on this. I want to go back to November 26, 2005, your pro debut. Gets a bending net at Trench Wars. What What do you remember yeah. about that day? <laughs> I remember first off go, going to so it was a, we fought in a warehouse, and 
First off, the guy that was fighting his name was Bernie Neff, but his fight name was Bernie the Shadow of Death Neff. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, six, I was 16 years old, going into the warehouse, and I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> what, what the heck am I doing? And then my entrance song started playing. I started coming out. I was so pumped. I got to the front, and I forgot my mouthpiece. <laughs> so I was like, oh. The, you know, I was hyped, I was hyped, the, 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 the ring guy, the check guy, whatever, and I, and I was fighting in a square cage. But I just remember how scared I was, and then I just, the, the fight was kind of a blur. Anyway, I, I threw a kick, we ended up on the ground, I, I ended up getting to like a double leg, I picked him up and I slammed him, and then I, I, I won the fight like that. And then I just remember like, after, immediately after just looking around and celebrating yelling, I was like, yo. I'm going to do this thing. I, I'm going to dedicate my life to this thing. This thing is pretty badass, you know? And then second fight came, third fight came. So uh, definitely a life changer, a life changer. And, of course, we get to see your fight here. UFC Vegas 54 coming up on May the 14th, of course, inside the UFC Apex there in Las Vegas. Frank, as always, man, appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know anything on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Uh, man, shout out to everyone, all the supporters. Uh, again, man, I, I gotta give it up to my wife because, um, you know, she, you know, like she's really there during my dark times, during my high times, and especially during this layoff, you know, like a couple times I, she would be the one, Hey man, I think you should go for a run today, you know, or I think you should go with, you know, go do this. So I, I really hats off and, and I have to, uh, uh, she was a, she was a corner in the corner, <laughs> you know? The team, and you guys can find me on all social media at Frank the Crank, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Shoot me a message. Uh, I usually reply back pretty well. Hey, and you, hey Jason, let's let's hear from man. I've been following. I've been following your. I've been following every uh, everything that you've been doing, man. Congrats with everything, bro. I'm a busy man. I'm a busy, I'm a busy yeah, man. man. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh man, it's 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 a crazy world, you know. Yeah. With everything I'm involved in, but yeah, man, it's uh it's fun. It's fun. I enjoy life. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big thing. Awesome, man. I appreciate time, man, and uh good luck here uh, next week, man. Or two weeks. Thank you. Two weeks, two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, don't me out. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks, yeah. man. Have a good day. And that was my conversation with Frank Camacho. Appreciate him coming on the podcast to talk about his matchup. Come up here next week, UFC Vegas 53. Of course, that'll be a uh, primetime card there uh, in Las Vegas. Main car will be at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And this episode of the MMA Report podcast is presented by The Freeze Pipe. Enjoy smoking cannabis like never before with an ice-cold freeze pipe. Freeze Pipe makes a freezable line of pipes, bubblers, bongs, and more for the coldest and smoothest smoking experience. Picture this. It's after dinner. You've survived a long day of work and hitting the gym, and it's time to fire up Netflix and a fat bowl. Only problem is your bong sucks and leaves you with a scratchy throat and coughing problems. Ditch that bong you've had for years and upgrade to an ice-cold freeze pipe. Engineered to cool smoke by over 300 degrees, freeze pipes glass pieces will have you puffing bigger clouds with zero chest or throat burn the secret is their freezable glycerin chambers that come on every piece pop one of those chambers in the freezer for one hour and as smoke passes through it's instantly cooled by hundreds 
of degrees. You'll notice a dramatically cold and smooth hit. You have to feel to believe with over 1,100 reviews and an average star rating of 4.4. This small American-owned company is helping people enjoy cannabis without the pain and hassle that normally comes from smoking weed. Check out their entire unique lineup of pipes, bubblers, bongs, dab rigs, and more at thefreezepipe.com and use code MMA for 10% off your entire order. That's thefreezepipe.com and code MMA Report for 10% off once again. That is T-H-E-F-R-E-E-Z-E-P-I-P-E.com. Use the promo code MMA for 10% off your entire order order uh daniel of course uh, last weekend we had ufc vegas 53 pfl week two of the 2022 season and uh you know first off uh, obviously controversy in the co-main event with the scoring of j of of jake collier and andre arlovsky i think pretty much outside unless you were a andre arlovsky better or in a team pitbull you, those are the only people that thought andre arlovsky won outside of the two judges uh that scoring that fight for the nevada state athletic commission and um so I was scrolling through Twitter yesterday. I want to offer up some kudos to Sean Sheehan from Severe MMA for calling out a certain reporter who works for a very notable website, Damon Martin of MMAfighting.com, for going, you don't understand the judging criteria of fights. And also called him out for a misleading tweet on what a 10-8 round is. And Sean Sheehan has done a tremendous job of understanding what the criteria for judging is in this sport. And look, bad judging is going to happen. You know, but I do think there is some part of this. I sit there and say, if a judge scores a thousand rounds in a year and has five bad rounds, is that too many? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's much like being an MLB umpire, right? If you miss on five percent of the pitches you that are called, that's a pretty good rate uh, of balls and strikes, ninety-five percent. You miss five percent, five out of a thousand. I mean, that's incredibly, uh, that's incredibly well done. That's a great job. The thing is, like, I think a lot of judges miss more than five rounds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like it, it, we often watch fights and we are perplexed, but it, it's important to kind of be aware of, of judging criteria when analyzing, judging, criticizing, judging, talking about judging. What do you think is something a lot of people miss when they talk about MMA judging? I think there is a difference of when you are sitting in front of your television set, your computer screen, as opposed to being that judge in that seat and look i'm not trying to defend judges but i'm just trying to say is i think if you're in that seat and there have been times for anyone who's covered mma event live like we both have when you're that close to the cage there are things you notice that you may not notice if you're watching on television and i was using this example the other day with somebody is i remember when uh desmond green took on mike richmond bellator it was it was up in connecticut i was at the show and a lot of people online were scoring the fight for Mike Richmond. And but I was sitting there and I was like, these punches aren't aren't hitting. He's he's missing out of these punches. Desmond Green won this fight. You know, look, I'm not trying to defend someone like Asal Diamato, but I do think there is something to looking at their entire body of work. I mean, look, if you're an MMA writer, you write a thousand articles a year, you have 
10 articles that are bad articles for the year. I mean, look, we're not perfect. No, no one is perfect in this situation, but I do think one of the things that when I look at how uh, the people who cover this sport, I really believe is that, and I think I'm going to take advantage of this. Mike Mazzoli has always told me the media is welcome to come to the MMA judging course at the ABC meeting every year. He wants to be transparent and there is a test after it. I just, I feel like as people who cover the sport, I think if you have the ability to get to Niagara Falls in July, why would you not take advantage to maybe get a better understanding of how this truly works? I mean, look, I understand covering the regulatory side of the sport does not get clicks. It doesn't. I can tell you flat out, it doesn't get clicks. You know, you can put up a, a photo gallery of, of some hot fighter that's going to get clicks, but talking about why a round of score 10, nine, as opposed to 10, eight is not going to get clicks. And, and it's just one of those things of, and that's why I said kudos to Sean Sheehan for calling people out to cover this sport who clearly don't know the criteria of how a round is scored. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important because it's the foundation of the sport. It's what it's built on. And it's, it's important to communicate that as a media member, what the judging criteria is, the difference between a 10-9, 10-8 round, the evolution of judging, the evolution of regulation. That is, to me, one of the most important things we can do is communicate that to fans so they're aware of it because it's not a big press release. It's not a massive event, you know? Everyone is aware of, of what Conor McGregor is doing, but they may not be aware of the details of judging criteria and how it's changed. So it's important to advocate for that and do that because even though you may not get the most clicks, you are probably doing a, you are doing a better job of covering this sport if you do so. And it, it explains things, sometimes scores that fans and ourselves view as bad, follow the book. You know, Arlovsky Collier, bad decision. I think Arlovsky's biggest mistake was making it an entertaining fight. That just never goes well for him. He's got he should have made it boring. I mean, I was amazed that he was in a in a a fight that was pretty damn exciting between him and Jake Collier. But yeah, it, the the that fight honestly, I was kind of like I I wasn't too pissed off about the decision because it kind of just felt good to see Arlovsky get his hand raised again. Like I just have a soft spot for him, you know. I think it's one of the few times in the apex where the crowd was visibly like behind a guy. It was wild. I don't know if Andre Arlovsky's friends are rich or what, or if yeah. it was UFC production staff over the years. I, I think it's people who were in Vegas for the NFL draft. Cause they all had NFL shirts on. And, and so you could, they got, they got into the apex. Yeah. You can buy tickets for those shows, I know, but it's freaking expensive. Is it not? Well, I mean, I'm sure they went with their money. Yeah, it was funny. My my parents are out in Vegas. Uh, they came. They flew into Vegas on Sunday, and my mom's like, oh, my God, the strip is packed of NFL fans. Like, yeah, Mom, the NFL draft has been in town. They went the wrong I, time. I, one thing I'll say this, and I think I mentioned it last week on the podcast. I do know that when it comes to the 10-8 criteria and the wording in, in the Unified Rules of MMA is that there is going to be an attempt at the ABC meeting this year to kind of simplify that definition of it, to make it more understandable. I also do think that, you know, if you're a fire, why would you not want to sit there in an MMA judging meeting and, and a course and sit there and have a better understanding of how the, how a fight is scored? Cause I don't like, I really don't know how many fighters truly know 
what the criteria is for a 10-9 round as opposed to a 10-8 round. Yeah, I don't think so. And it's understandable for them not to prioritize that. But at the very least, their coaches, I think, would benefit from that to communicate to the fighters what that is. So obviously, anyone in the, in the industry would benefit from that. But I, I just don't expect, you know, you know, fighters to go and, and, and do that. But it's important for them to be aware of that information because it's like playing a football game or a basketball game and not knowing the rules, not knowing how to score points, not knowing how to win your competition. It's like being a gymnast and not knowing the criteria for scoring to the to the top, to the T. That is, to me, of something that should be like the number one priority. I'm not saying go sit in a course, but certainly have someone you know someone in your corner do that thing to spread the information. And I'm sure, I'm sure people have, right? Like I would assume coaches in the sport have done that. I think at least maybe one, I don't know. I mean, it it feels like that's something where it's basically just judges and referees that are taking advantage of that opportunity, but that would be a, just a, a smart thing to do if you're running a gym. Yeah, and I will also say this from the people who cover this MMA sport, you probably should know the names of, of the people that are on the MMA Rules and Regulations Committee because that's going to kind of give you a little insight of how this this sport uh, is shaped. But, you know, when you talk about UFC Vegas 53, the storyline has to be the main event of Marlon Chito Vera and Rob Font. Another prime example of how fight stats do not always tell the story of how a fight went. Uh, Rob Font did miss weight for this fight. I mean, he just threw a, I mean, he had a ton of volume and for a lot of these rounds, Rob Font was looking good for three quarters of the round. And then Cheeto Vera, uh, you know, drops them and, and ultimately takes those rounds. And I will tell you, I actually, uh, I watched a majority of this fight after the fact, uh, went to a, a WWE house show on Saturday, walked into a bar, basically as the fifth round was starting. And my first thought was like, holy crap, Rob, what the hell happened to your face, bro? Dude, he looked like a zombie in The Walking Dead. It was, I mean, when he, after the fight was over and he was sitting on his stool, it was bad, bro. Like, Cheeto Vera is a dangerous, dangerous dude, man. He hit so hard. He was busting out a Shawn Michaels super kick in this fight. I mean, Cheeto Vera has a legit super kick in his arsenal. It's amazing. He dropped Font with one and he hit him with one later. I, I, I love the sweet chin music. I love watching Cheeto Vera fight, bro. This was a freaking awesome fight. Here's my concern with Cheeto Vera long term. I know what it is. (laughs) He just, he finds himself getting down in rounds. And like, if he doesn't drop Rob Font in those rounds, Rob Font probably walks away with the victory. You know, it it was, that was the turning point. That was, they were the significant strikes that ultimately led to it. But, you know, I think if you're Jason Perillo and your people around Cheeto Vera, there's, there's gotta be somehow of how do we get some urgency out of our fighter to not find himself. I mean, we we saw it in the Frankie Yeager fight. I mean, yeah, he had a tremendous knockout in that Frankie Yeager fight, but he was on his way to potentially losing a decision in that fight. Yeah, man. He, uh, he needs to find himself in five round fights. That's the avenue where he really thrives because, in a three-round contest in his next fight, he's going to drop round one unless he changes his fight style. And we've seen slow starters. And the thing about slow starters in this sport is once they get to this level, they don't really change, man. I mean, there have been a few fighters we've seen with that type of thing where you know they are the better fighter than their opponent. 
but they give away rounds. And I have rarely seen a fighter change that aspect of their game. I don't expect that to happen in Cheeto Vera. Cheeto Vera is the type of guy where he, like, needs to get punched in the face a few times. And he just – really what he does incredibly well is countering dudes. I mean, just a phenomenal counter striker. And I, I just feel like that's just not an aspect of his game that is going to change. It's going to be mentioned every single time he fights. It's going to be mentioned on commentary in every round one. But it's almost like, damn, the strategy should just be making sure he headlines another apex card because that is the avenue where he will have the most success, 25 minutes of action. Speaking about this top of this band and weight division, how do you match it up? And, you know, look, I think it all starts with what is going to be the title fight. Will it be Aljamain Sterling defending his title against TJ Dillashaw or defending his title against Jose Aldo? Jose Aldo indicated on social media last week he's been off for this fight. And so I thought, hey, let's talk about how we would match make the top of this division. Now, there's one guy I was thinking about this the other day. You know who never gets called out in the Bantamweight division? Marab. Yeah, no one calls out Marab. No yeah. one calls out. So apparently the UFC really wants to book Marab versus Dominic Cruz. Oh, my God. They hate Dominic Cruz. Okay, okay. Who in the top echelon of this division is signing up for, to fight Marab Davishview, okay? Him and Al Joe are best friends. They don't want to fight each other. You got Peter Yan, TJ Dillashaw, Jose Aldo, Corey Sanhagen, Marlon Vera. When I think of all those fighters, the one thing that really comes to me is they're they're not trying to sit there and have a, a grappling match for 25 minutes. No, no, not at all, man. I mean, do look, the one fight I want to see happen is I want to see Morale fight Peter Yan. Like Yan has the grappling defense to 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 not be on his back. Obviously, he got taken down quite a few times in that last fight against Aljo. Mrab will probably be able to have that success. But in terms of looking at that lineup, who has the best chance of of out-wrestling him or, or defensively having success? Jan is the option. And it's just, it's it's the two names of just, to me, the two best fighters in this weight class that aren't champion. So Jan and, and Mrab could literally be an interim championship fight, and I think that would make sense. And not not that I'm advocating for that, but I'm saying those two guys are championship-level bantamweights. That's a fight I want to see, bro. I want to see Jan and Mrab, and there's no other fight I want to see. Like, Mrab and Cruz does not excite me because I feel like I already know what's going to happen. You know the fight that, when I look at the tops of the division, I think would be a really fun fight to watch? That would be Corey Sandhagen versus Cheeto Vera. To me, to me, this weight class really falls into place once you make that decision on who's fighting for the championship. Vera and Sanhagen is one of those pieces that makes all the sense in the world. You know it's going to be a fight of the night. You know they're going to stand and trade. It's something you can man a bet an apex card with. Cheeto Vera and Sanhagen, I would be stunned if that's not what is next. The only reason why it might not be next is literally if a guy pulls out with an injury. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing like with TJ Dillashaw of, you know, how soon could you be available? That's why when I was thinking about this, I was saying, if I'm Aljamain Sterling, what do I want? And I'm thinking is that Jose Aldo fight may not be there a year from now. It may only be there for the next six months. So the way I match made this division, saying the UFC does get their wish and, and does Cruz versus Marab. So I said Aljo versus Aldo, Jan versus Dillashaw, Sanhagen versus Vera. So then what'd you do, Murad? Dominic Cruz. Okay. Yeah, I, I dig that. I would, uh, 
If I was UC matchmaker, I, I like what you're throwing down. I think the timing is, is something that probably puts Aljo in the cage with Aldo. Aljo versus Aldo is a bigger fight than Aljo versus TJ, in my opinion. It's an easier fight to promote in terms of the name value of Aldo compared to the name value of Dillashaw. That being said, if I was going to be matchmaker, I would put Aljo versus Dillashaw. I would put Jan versus Mirab, Sanhagen versus Vera. I would put Cruz versus Aldo. That's the fight I really would love to see. Just from a, a, a legacy aspect of what, you know, you know, these two guys that, you know, controlled their divisions back going back all the way to the WC at 35 and 45. I, that's a, a like a, a legacy fight I would love to see. Yeah, yeah. And, and that to me could be a co-main event on a, on a, on a pay-per-view. That to me could be anyway. It could be on a main card. It could be a true number one contenders fight. It would be a tough spot though, right? If you put Aldo versus Cruz, Aldo wins, but Jan beats Mirab. There is no way you should deny Jan that opportunity for a championship fight with the win over Mirab after how close the last fight was with Aljo. So that's something where if I'm in Aldo's camp, I'm not taking it. But if I'm matchmaker, that's the fight I'm going with. What would you do with Rob Font, who who fought a tough fight, who was not outclassed? He did, he got dropped throughout this fight, and that's what cost him this fight. But he's not too far off from Cheeto Vera. I think both those guys really proved themselves. When you look at that bantamweight weight class, you know Rob Font's going to be exciting. Who do you put him up with? First off, I would say is I think he needs to take some time off. Yeah, he does. I don't know if he has a choice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I just think, he, and because of that team, I, I think they would do that. Um, but I mean, look, if you look at the rest of this division, um, you know, Song, you got Song Yudong. Um, I don't think Song Yudong's got a fight booked. It maybe has. Pedro Munoz is going to take on Sean O'Malley. Um, then you got Frankie Edgar, Ricky Simone, Marlon Marlon is still ranked, but he's retired. And then Jack Shore. I mean, there's not really an easy fight. I mean, probably the Song Yudong fight stylistically is probably the fight that makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think the fight that would get me the most excited would be, um, and it's not going to happen because he's booked, as you mentioned, at UFC 276, but uh, Sean O'Malley versus Rob Font would be just a, a fight I would really want to see, bro. Yeah. Like it would it would be reminiscent of, of O'Malley taking a, a major, and O'Malley's already taken a major step of a competition when he's taking on Pedro Munoz, but you know O'Malley Font are going to throw down, right? And, and that's just going to be freaking awesome. Well, uh, actually... Font might look to take him down the more I think about it. But still, Font O'Malley would be uh, uh, the fight I would want to make if it's possible. Unlikely when you, when you look at the timing. You're right. The Yudong fight is maybe what lines up depending on how long that time off is for Rob Font. Because, again, it, it, it's going to take time to heal the wounds from this fight. Yeah, I mean, and I would think that when you talk about Tyson Chargier in that New England cartel team, they're they're kind of a team that does would take the extra time. We saw them do that uh, with Calvin Cater, uh, just kind of looking up to see if Song Yudong actually has a fight booked or not. He does not have a fight booked. Of course, he's coming off that win there uh, against Marlon Moraes. Uh, you know, thinking about other things that happened, um, you know, in terms of, of notable takeaways, uh, Grant Dawson, how he looked. Uh, of course, this is his first uh, fight since making the switch from Glory MMA Fitness down to American top team. Also, uh, Joe Anderson Brito with the quick knockout there uh, against Andre Filho. Alexander Romanoff, he did what exactly what you would think uh, Alexander Romanoff would do. Uh, Gabe Green, the crazy story uh, and during the broadcast, they're talking about the fact that he, how basically he had 
bad vision. Couldn't really see inside the cage. Got that corrected, and boy, you see the difference. Uh, Johan Linnaeus looked great in the first round, but uh, kudos for Gabe Green for bouncing back there. Uh, also noted, uh, Shane Young guy went over Gina Mazzani. Gina Mazzani was our last fight on her UFC deal, and news came out on Tuesday that basically the UFC says, uh, yep, we're out of the Gina Mazzani business, which shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah, it's always tough losing the opener of a UFC Apex card. You're probably on the chopping block. Look, I thought uh, I thought the two fighters outside the main event that stuck out the most to me would would be Joe Anderson Brito. He he's just a special looking featherweight fighter, and to put away Andre Feely is is a, is, a, is a tough thing to do. And Alexander Romanov, he was a heavy favorite. It was expected. Chase Sherman was outside the UFC when he signed this fight, but Romanov looks like an incredible player at heavyweight. And it's like this is a this is a name to keep your eyes on because he will be a fixture. So those are the two big names. I thought Natan Levy and Mike Breeden on the prelims was a really enjoyable fight and is worth watching. A good decision win for Levy, but it was back and forth in those first two rounds. Hey, James Krause out there, second round, just tells Mike Breeden, bro, you got to finish him. And man, he listens right to him. Like, that's the one thing. And, and I saw this, uh, this note about James Krause about when he coaches fighters that he has them do a personality test. So he understands kind of what gets them going. That's wild, and and uh, that's interesting, and that's uh, probably a coach I would want in my corner if he's, there's that attention to detail. The other guy, uh, also shout out to Francisco Figueroa with an E-bar win, but the other guy who stuck out to me, it wasn't the sexiest fight at all, but Christoph Jotko against Jared Mearshart, um, damn good performance out of Jotko. This dude's stand-up is, like, he can outpoint the hell out of you, but yes, I'm looking at you smile, and it wasn't there was never a moment where I'm like, oh, he's going to finish this fight. <laughs> Death, taxes, and Christoph Jocko win via decision. Yeah, yeah, but dude, Jerome Marshart's a tough cat. Yeah, yeah. And Jocko swept him, swept him. And uh, you are right. Uh, Death, taxes, Jocko by decision. Jocko's a top middleweight, bro. He's going, he's going to be an underdog against one of these top middleweights. He's going to outpoint him. That's going to happen, in my opinion. By the way, we talk about the decision. That's kind of like the storyline of PFL uh, week two of the 2022 season, especially there uh, at, at the Featherweights, of course, headlined by uh, Bruno. What, what he went out there and did exactly what you would expect him uh, to go out there and do. You, you just you knew that was going to happen there. Uh, all the Featherweight matchups, so, you know, via decision there. Uh, Bubba Jenkins weathering a little. Had to weather some adversity. Get Pascal Bokniak uh, in his fight. Brandon Laughlin gets a technical decision. Hit uh, for air what he was able to do in 25 seconds. Good Lord. You, you know, it's a quick knockout when they can make it a, an Instagram reel. Yeah, the whole fight. Yeah, dude. <laughs> this heavyweight tournament, I'm excited for because I know, like, I can just sit down and expect a fight to be over in a round, right? Like, it's the polar opposite of the featherweights. All three heavyweight fights that were on the main card were over in the first round. And, uh, man, it, was, it wasn't, it was the like, the sexiest front kick knockout. It looked kind of awkward the way he landed it, but yeah, Ferreira and Capaloza are the two names. Obviously, you got to look at that. Maybe they'll meet in the finals. Um, Dennis Goltsov also just you know got on top and, and and pounded his way out. But to me, the big storyline was was uh, you know some disappointing performances out of guys we expected to perform better. Brendan Lonane uh, won the technical decision after the cut. Um, he didn't fight as well as I thought he would against Ryoji Kudo. Kudo had him hurt early. Palmer against Chris Wade. Disappointing performance from Lance Palmer. Uh, 
and it's just the things this was an opportunity for him to get momentum back and he fought a guy who advanced to the final so it was a very tough fight but for lance he wasn't able to make it his type of fight man he was going for that single power strike and that's just not what's going to lead to him having success when he tried to do what he does with the wrestling it wasn't very successful either this is a fight where Chris Wade really was patient with his approach and was able to outpoint Lance Palmer. For Lance Palmer, his back is against the wall when it comes to trying to maintain relevance as a featherweight in, in this sport. Yeah, I mean, you look at the last year and a half for Lance Palmer. I mean, yeah, this is a guy that you know was considered one of the best featherweights outside the UFC, and things have just not gone his way. But, of course, uh, this weekend we got a busy weekend of MMA. We got uh, Bellator and PFL on Friday, and then, of course, on Saturday we got UFC 274. Begin to you, before we get into UFC 274, looking at the Bellator card, uh, Bader-Congo. I mean, look, we, we've seen that fight once before. I expect Ryan Bader will uh, easily walk away with a, uh, a victory there, retaining the heavyweight title a uh, big opportunity for alex palazzi stepping up on short notice now to take on uh yoel romero huge opportunity for him uh in this matchup uh you know Lorenz larkin always a fun guy to watch there uh mike shipman another name to pay attention to but the rest of the card it's just it's a local card for france i mean let's just be honest about it uh pfl card i mean look kayla should roll absolutely in the main event um ray cooper third always a fun guy uh to watch there uh rory mcdonald who i think has kind of become a little bit of a forgotten guy here in the pfl um you know magnum karamov i mean if you look at the betting officer to pfl it is chalk city bro yeah i would i would imagine even anthony pettis is, is a pretty heavy favorite against miles price yeah, he's uh, uh, approaching a three to one betting favorite yeah i would imagine larissa pacheco is a pretty heavy favorite against zamza ghoul five salanova six to one six to one <laughs> yeah yeah let me guess the closest fight on this card is is it jenna fabian julia bud uh, Julia Bud's like a two and a half to one betting favorite. I want to say. Uh, okay, I see. I but see. Uh, the the Mello I know is a plus one thirty underdog in that one. Glyson Tebow was like a, a two and a half to one uh, betting underdog in his fight. But yeah, it's uh, I mean, look, it's you know, as I look at the featherweight division or the lightweight division, I should say here for for the PFL is you know, do we potentially get Julia Bud versus Kayla Harris? I mean, look, I still favor Kayla Harrison to win that fight. But you know, what is Julia Bud now fighting at one fifty five as opposed to one forty five? But to me, this weekend. It's all about the UFC card. UFC 274 main event, Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. And I mean, look like I, I look at that fight, Daniel, and Oliveira tends to get caught early in the fight. I think it's going to happen again. I think Justin Gaethje is going to walk out the UFC lightweight champion. Yeah, this is a deal where Oliveira can't get caught. Gaethje is a different breed. He is going to put you out if you get caught because once you get caught, he will go ham. He will go hard. He will go 1,000 miles per hour. And he's got the power to put you down and out. I, I get why you're going with Gaethje. I think on the feet, as good as Oliveira is, he's playing with fire. Because it's only a matter of time until Gaethje lands that hard shot. And while Oliveira throughout his career has gotten rocked but has recovered, Gaethje's a happy guy who's got punching power that very few can recover from. I mean, that's why that's why Gaethje's fight against Chandler was what it was. It was it was something where you just you couldn't believe your freaking eyes yeah. that Michael Chandler was surviving some of these shots. But this isn't a three round fight. This is 25 minutes. And that being said, I don't know, man, I'm feeling some Oliveira, some Oliveira love here. You know, I, I really do think. First and foremost, 
incredibly slick grappler. Also, great speed, great movement. He is just looking on a different level. Phenomenal athlete. And I think a big reason why I like Oliveira to beat Justin Gaethje is because in the scrambles, I favor Oliveira's ability to potentially lock on a fight-ending submission. But it's a fight where I don't feel good about it. I I don't feel good betting against Gaethje, but I'm going with Oliveira to retain the championship. I mean, look, if you're Charles Oliveira and his team, the mindset's got to be, we got to make this a grappling matchup. It, it, that, that has to be the mindset. Because, look, if you start, if you make this a kickboxing matchup, man, you're playing with fire here. And it's just, it's that one thing I keep thinking about when you think about some of these fights that Oliveira has. I mean, it's absolutely tremendous run he's been on. But he does kind of get dropped early on. I think that happens. It, it'll be a, a Justin Gaethje win. Cold main event, a rematch from the Ultimate Fighter Season 20 finale. Rose Namunas, Carlos Esparza. I love Carlos Barza in the first matchup because of the wrestling, but that was a long time ago, bro. And I mean, look, obviously she still has a wrestling advantage in this matchup, but man, Rose Namunas has a massive advantage on the feed. I like Rose to win this one. She's going to have to probably stop multiple takedowns. I mean, she might have to stop 10 plus takedowns in this matchup, but I just think of because of such a huge advantage that Rose has on the feet, Rose retains the title here. Yeah, it's a tough fight for me to pick. I am riding with you, though. I'm liking Nami Hunis. It's just I really like what I've seen out of her lately. She, to me, appears to be on a different plane than other straw weights right now. Carla has a clear path to victory. I think it's likely that she will score a takedown or two. I think it's possible she will win a round or two. I think over 25 minutes, Nami Hunis' true talent level will seep up. So I could see Nami Hunis drop a round, but I could see her winnings three, four, and five. And I think she'll do that. I could even see her finishing the fight. So, uh, yeah, Nami Hunis is my pick here. And, man, we always see Gagey and Nami Hunis on the same card, bro. Yeah, so you got Trevor Whitman will be working back-to-back fights there. Uh, prior to that, we got Michael Chandler against Tony Ferguson. And, you know, I mean, look, it's one of those things of I was I was kind of a surprise in a way of what the betting odds were on this one. Michael Chandler, uh, a 4-1 to betting favor. When the, when the odds opened for this, Michael Chandler was a minus 175 betting favorite. So it tells you what the betting public thinks of, of this matchup. You know, to me, the one thing about Tony Ferguson is – He's lost three in a row. He has not looked good in any of these fights. He's lost every single round. And it becomes to me of, has he made the changes necessary? And the one change that we do know that he has made is he's brought in as college wrestling coach. But the question I think to me is, is there someone in that room that truly is running the camp that's not named Tony Ferguson? Um, Just because of what we've seen in the last three fights, I think Michael Chandler is going to win. I think Michael Chandler wins by knockout at some point. Yeah, and it's worth noting that two of those three losses for Ferguson have been against the guys fighting in the main event, but it's more so than just who he's lost to and the fact that he's lost is how he's lost. He's just looked like a different fighter. I think for I think Chandler wins easily. You know, he may not even go to the wrestling against Tony Ferguson, but I, I think this is a finish for Michael Chandler over Tony. But it, it, it's an exciting fight um, because, you know, that's the perils of being an exciting fighter is when you need that easier fight. Well, the UFC can't help themselves. They want to book you in a fight of the night, and, and that's how they've done here. But I think it's probably going to be a performance of the night because I think it'll be a one-sided performance out of Michael Chandler. Out, the, those are clearly the top three fights. I wonder if our number four fight on this card is the same. It's not on the it's not yeah. on the main card. It's on the prelims. Oh, to crap. me, it's Brand Royval versus Matt Schnell. Yeah, 
there's another one of those prelims that's pretty damn good too. But Roy Valley Snell is going to be exciting, and it means a lot for that flyweight weight class. You are right, dude. But the other fight I'm looking at, and Cerrone Lowe's on the main card is also like that's going to be great. But uh, Randy Brown Chaos Williams yep. is another one where it's just like banger. But the difference between Williams and Brown is Roy Valchnell is just more interesting for that 125 weight yeah. class in terms of where they are in the landscape versus Brown and Williams. This is, uh, this is a damn good card. I mean, there are 15 freaking fights on it, so <laughs> that sucks. Well, well, the question is, will we, get to, will we have 15 fights by the time Saturday night gets here? <laughs> I know, I know. We're probably going to wood our way down to 13, but yeah, I mean, we shall see. I mean, those two fights are pretty big. Andre Filio at welterweight is just uh, an exceptional talent going up against Cameron Van Camp. I, I was talking about this a video that's going to come out on the Odd Shopper YouTube channel uh, this week about comparing Andre Filio to Joaquin Buckley. When you think about what those fires were when we saw them in Bellator and to what they are now, that just the the vast improvements that both of them have made, particularly with the power they have in their hands. I mean, we we've seen what Fielho can do. Cerrone Lazone, like I don't know who to pick, Daniel. I really don't. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know either because both these guys are like two Western cowboys. They got maybe one more bullet in the chamber. And you don't know if they do or don't. They may fire and nothing will come out. It, it, it's a it's a tough one. In that fight, I'm picking Cerrone over Lozon, largely due to the stand-up. I favor Cerrone in that aspect of the fight. But it's a it, it's a close fight, bro. And then Shogun OSP. I like St. Peru to win that fight pretty easily against Shogun. That, that's another one that I'm just like, you know, you talk about that trust, do not trust list. Like the, 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 all four of these guys, I, I don't, I, like if you tell me Cerrone Lazone ends in one round, I probably say Joe wins the fight. I think the longer the fight probably goes, um, you know, for, for Cerrone. I would agree with you. I think you got to go OSP. Uh, in, in terms of that one, but uh, you know, look, I'm looking forward to uh, checking out. Probably will not be able to watch these uh, fights uh, live on Saturday night. This weekend's actually uh, my wife's birthday, so taking her out of town. So I don't know if she's going to necessarily say that I can pull the "Hey, you want to watch the pay per view?" I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, yeah, I, I think she'll be upset at you if you're watching Francisco Trinaldo and Danny Roberts on your phone while you're at a nice restaurant. Uh, but, you oh, know, no, bro, maybe, no, bro, bro. We're belling up right to the bar, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you go to a bar that has the fights on. Uh, I'm guessing no. I'll probably just that's have, what, I'll have what to pull, I, I'll have pull it up on the phone. I'll probably have to pull it up on the phone. Dude, that's what I did to, uh, I was watching uh, Sunday night. I had to hang out with a lady friend at Buffalo Wild Wings and try the spicy Dorito chicken wings and, uh, smart strategy because they had the warriors game on so it's like yeah yes honey uh-huh all right, so uh, i made in the chicken wing looking at the warriors would you would you get those wings again uh okay so no because there are so many better wings but they were okay which is uh a thumbs up because so many times you have all these stupid like advertising things that aren't very good this one was okay it was kind of tasty it was kind of spicy when you get the chicken wings, it literally comes with a spicy Doritos bag. So I think this whole thing is just to get people to know that spicy Doritos exist. Yeah. But uh, the spicy Doritos are pretty spicy. Like, they are much spicier than hot Cheetos. But would I get it again? No, because it looked like I, like, 
I mean, it looked like I butchered a human being. My hands were just, I, I looked awful. Because <laughs> it's like the chicken wing and sauce with literal Dorito crumbs on top. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things where if you go with the girlfriend, don't expect any PDA after you dig into the uh, spicy Doritos wings because your uh, your hands are just an active hazard site. Yeah, you probably, you probably got to have that gum uh, right, ready to go, too, there. Uh, by the way, WTF moment of the week. I mentioned <laughs> beginning of the show it involves a tomato. If people did not see this, this is related to the BKFC weigh-ins last week where Lorenzo Hunt puts a tomato. He's snacking on the tomato and then puts it in Joe Riggs's face. By the way, of course, altercation starts uh, in the fight. Uh, Lorenzo ends up retaining his, his BKFC welterweight title. But, you know, I, I mentioned this to Daniel in a text message. That this is going to be my WTF moment of the week. And you brought up a great question. Who snacks on a tomato? Yeah, when I saw the clip, I thought it was an apple. I thought it was like the WWE. They had a wrestler named Carlito who would eat an apple and spit it in people's face. And then I looked at the comment section, and people were talking about tomatoes, and I had to rewatch, and I was like, what kind of sociopath eats a raw tomato like that? If you eat a tomato like that, get yourself checked. You are not right, okay? That is awful. That is that is actually legitimately messed up that you do that at a weigh-in. Like, and to do that to Joe Riggs is just a dumb move. Like, Joe Riggs is ready to throw hands. He's been throwing hands since he was four years old. The only thing is it sucks that he lost. You know, I was kind of rooting for him after that happened. But, uh, unfortunately, he lost. Crazy that he's fighting a light heavyweight. I am unaware if the, the weight classes are, like, the same as MMA, if that's a 205 or what. But, uh, yeah, that was a 100% the WTF moment of the week. And, you deserve to lose a fight if you spit a freaking tomato in your opponent's face in the weigh-ins, and unfortunately, Lorenzo won. By the way, not necessarily a WTF moment of the week, but uh, I got a good chuckle reading this article at May Junkie about uh, the update on Jorge Masvidal's legal charges down there in South Florida with his uh, alleged incident against Colby Coming. I guess it's not really alleged anymore since we now have um, photos of what Colby Covington looked like. But to me, what made this this article funny is the fact that Jorge Masol's legal team from Cohen and McMullen are alleging that uh, this uh, alleged Rolex that uh, Colby Covington is saying is damaged is what is called a Folex. I did not know this term before this week. And for those who aren't aware, a Folex is also known as a Frankenstein Rolex, a term used in the industry that indicates a watch is composed of aftermarket parts, including fake or knockoff Rolex parts and possibly real Rolex components. Yeah, man. Uh, look, reading what came out of Masvidal's legal team was super entertaining. I mean, they were roasting Colby Covington in every line. I don't know if that's a legal representation I would want if I'm Jorge Masvidal, just because, like, I don't know if I want george carlin to be my legal team like like i don't know if i want a celebrity roast to be my legal team i don't know if i want jeff ross to be out there but maybe their strategy is to put that out in the media to kind of shape the way we look at this thing but in terms of appealing to a judge i don't know if it's the greatest strategy some of the things i took from this article Quote, last week, Covington upgraded the aggravated battery charge, citing a brain injury from the alleged attack. Masswell's legal team filed a motion to require Covington to undergo independent medical examinations. 
Masvidal's lawyer, Brad Cohen, knows that Covington fought Masvidal in a sanctioned five-round professional fight two weeks prior on March 5th at UFC 272, where Covington received several serious blows to the head in a match. Cohen's argument is that it's unclear what injury Covington sustained from the Miami incident. Uh, Masvidal's legal team also claims the evidence uh, collected clearly contradicts Covington's allegations, stating that in exclusive footage, Covington was seen facing the individual he identified as Masvidal rather than allegedly getting hit from behind. Masvidal's legal team noted some comments Covington said prior to the incident interview on the Full Sin podcast. Quote, dude, imagine if we're in the streets, bro. No one is going to pull me off you. You effing dead, MFR. Like, first off, and, and in fact, if people did not see, Covington is blocking the body cam footage from being uh, released publicly. Um, take that whatever way you want, but like, I read that article, bro. And I'm just, I'm laughing. I'm like, this is tremendous. Yeah, this is going to be a very entertaining story. Are we? Uh, ab- are we about to get the MMA version of Johnny Depp and Amanda Heard? Can you imagine Masvidal and Covington in a courtroom? Oh God! <laughs> do do you get real Colby or you get Colby Covington the character? Dude, I feel like you might get real Colby. I really do, because it feels like ever since the event has happened, Colby Covington has dramatically changed who he has been. <laughs> Bro, like it makes me wonder what is on that body cam footage that he doesn't want to put out there. Yeah, yeah, that's really suspicious. Uh, but like the body cam footage would be what things that happened after the incident. Yeah. Uh, why, why do I feel like that footage will be on TMZ within the next month? Yeah. I mean, you, you, a, you know, it's going to happen. You know, it is. Yeah. You know, TMZ is willing to pay for it. And yeah, I, I think we will eventually see that body cam footage. I mean, those pictures of Colby don't look great with the missing tooth. No, 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 no. Magically, Colby has just gone missing in, in terms of interviews. Yeah, man. Magic, magic has, has happened. Uh, do you think, like, are we not going to see him fight for six months? Like, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I don't I don't think you hear from Colby for a couple months. I, I You know, it, it, it's clearly this is the, the Colby Covington character has taken a massive hit. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, get, give some news before we get out of here on, on this week's edition of the podcast. Dan Hooker announced he's returning to lightweight, saying, quote, I couldn't make 145 if I wanted to. Uh, Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett is the main event of UFC Austin. That'll be on June the 18th. Curtis Blaze versus Tom Aspinall is the main event of UFC London on July 23rd. Surreal Gone Tatu Avasa is expected to be the main event of UFC France on September the third by the way um are you a tiktok person i kind of check it out but not a lot there's a i i came across a, a video of tatu avasa drinking with uh this guy i don't know if you've seen i don't know if, if i sent it to you or not but no i didn't see it this dude literally takes a bottle spins it and it looks like a tornado and he makes like he licks the bottle i'll have to send it to you that, but yeah, ta- but tatu avasa appears in his videos that sounds up my alley i'm 100 in on this I, I saw it. I was like, well, that's an interesting way to drink a beer. Yeah, man. My favorite way to my favorite type of beer is a cold one, but uh, I that, would absolutely do that. That's very true. That's very true. By, by the yeah. way, I, I mentioned I went to the WWE house show last weekend. Um, like it. it was a good time. Uh, you know, what I think the, the, the part to me that was the most enjoyable about it since it was a house show is that the wrestlers were talking to the to the fans. 
There was a moment after Cody Rhodes uh, had his match where um, he's going around doing autographs, you know, grabbing people's phone, doing selfies. And you can see Byron Saxon, who is a ring announcer, is kind of like looking at him like, okay, bro, get to the back. We got to get this next match going. Oh, yeah. I thought that was the main event. Oh, no, yeah. No, that was like, it was like, uh, hell, I think that was before intermission. It was him and uh, Seth Rollins. Yeah, that's messed up. You know, I mean, everyone that's working that event is trying to get home as soon as it starts. And uh, yeah, if you're uh, doing that, you're delaying the show. Um, I mean, I even remember when Jeff Hardy uh, went to the house show and it was the event where Jeff Hardy, you know, ultimately lost his job. But yeah, he was just out there for a long time and he had some wranglers trying to get him to the back so they could, you know, get get done with the show. But that is funny. I'm glad you had a good time. Good people. Good. Good people watching. Yeah, you saw some crazy people out there. <laughs> good people watching, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was overall it was a good time, man. It was a good time. It, I I was thinking about it like I probably had not been to a W house show in fifteen years. Wow. To, to tell you how long ago it was, the I, the one thing I remember about that house show was John Cena was on earlier on the show, and this was like this was before John Cena had hit big, and it was his thumb Thugonomics character. And uh, the crowd was uh, chanting, you suck. He gets on the mic. He says, I may suck, but you swallow. (laughs) I was like, and I was there going, oh, my God. I don't think you could do that today. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't don't think that go over well. Not with the way the WWE presents their product as this family product. You know? uh, let's just say, I don't, the way the wrestlers were talking, I didn't feel like it was a family product. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you could definitely tell, like, I, I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm sure those guys probably, probably enjoy those house shows a little more than TV shows because they can kind of really get into their character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, it's just a much different thing, man. It, it's, it's a, it's like, it's almost like practice, but it's like they can kind of wink at the audience I, and let them in. So, because I, I'm, I'm guessing that that Cody and Seth are, are wrestling. Uh, what's it, is it this weekend's their uh, next pay per view? I think so. I'm not it, sure. it, it almost kind of felt like the, it, this was a practice run for the for the match for their match that night. Yeah, yeah, that's what you see. And and uh, but the thing is, you know, the usually they'll deliver. And usually, you know, buying a ticket to the WWE house show, even if you're not a big wrestling fan. You're you're gonna usually enjoy it. Yeah, it was good. It was good, and then uh, you know went went and uh, went and, uh, had some uh, some adult beverages back at a bar by the house. And my buddy goes, "Hey, let's play some golden tea." I'm like, "You really want to play golden tea?" Yeah, I'd, I'd be by like 15 shots. <laughs> I'm like, "Bro, you know, you know, I I I used to I used to play golden tea religiously back in the day. Like I had the golden tea card and everything." Oh my gosh! Oh yeah! I don't even, I don't even know what the hell that is. You don't know what golden tea is? No, what is that? It's a it's a golf arcade game. Oh, uh, you, so you walk. Uh, I mean, come on. You tell me there's no bars in the Rio Grande that have got uh, golden tea. Dude, I don't think so, bro. Wow. Yeah, man. But what kind what kind of bar games do we have in the Rio Grande? Dude, it's usually just the boxing game. It's usually just the freaking the one where you punch the boxing. Okay. Like, like, like we don't have a big arcade scene in in the valley. We really don't. There's a couple little arcades, but I I, I would tell you this. I love a good arcade bar. I love an arcade bar. Yeah, those are yeah. when I, when you know traveling during the season. That that to me is that's a, that's like a go to thing. If you you can find a good arcade bar, um, and particularly the ones that maybe they just charge a cover at the door and then all the games are free, as opposed to um, like there's one place we go to in Charlotte where um, 
there's there's no cover to get in, but you gotta you know you gotta put quarters in the machines. That's a uh, that's messed up because I'm gonna go broke if I have to put quarters. Yeah, in I mean, I I'd, so. I'd rather just pay you know ten twenty dollar cover charge and be able to play you know whatever games you have in there. And uh, yeah, I found some I found some good arcade bars. There's there's a couple here in the area, but like if I'm going out to a bar, I love throw darts. Um, you know, cornhole every once in a while. That sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like you ultimately are one of the all time best bar guys. Like you just know how to have a good time you've put in the repetition i've been known to partake (laughs) yeah yeah my my, my buddy's always uh on the road they'll be if we're gonna play darts they're like hey we gotta get a couple more beers than jason because when when i get some beers in me i'm (laughs) i'm the dark king you know there'll be times where like you know that they know when all of a sudden i just start hitting everything they're just like, okay, we need to stop playing because, uh, <laughs> or, or my one buddy, uh, be four of us, they'll say, hey, Jason's my partner. <laughs> yeah, then it's just like, no, I, uh, that's a, that's a bigger betting odds favorite than, uh, Keila Harrison. Oh, man, bro. That's, uh, I, I will say this. I'm interested to see what that draws on TV, though. Yeah. They did not, uh, of course, coming up against Info Draft was not a good idea. Um, 71,000 viewers for last week's show. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, yeah. but I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you know they're be going up against the playoffs. It is a Friday night, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a little higher just because it is Kayla Harrison fighting. But I wouldn't expect you know a ratings bonanza. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to to. I'll be obviously I'll, I'll be out of town, but I'm gonna try to catch. Uh, I'll, I'll catch all these fights uh, after the fact. Of course, I appreciate everyone taking time out of their day to download, listen to this episode of the podcast. Be sure to check out our brand new sponsor, the Freeze Pipe. Go to thefreezepipe.com. Enter that code MMA for ten percent off your order when you use that code. It lets them know you heard about them here on the MMA Report podcast. Once again, that's T H E F R E E Z E P I P E dot com. Use that promo code MMA for ten percent off your entire order. So appreciate everyone taking time out of their day to download this podcast. Huge thanks to Frank Camacho for coming on the show. We'll be back here next week to talk about everything happening in the world of MMA. Of course, we'll give our takeaways. What happens on Saturday night at UFC 274?